Welcome to the Christian Ministries Church Podcast. My name is Josh Barnett. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're praying that this message equips and empowers you to live in the kingdom of God. <laughs> You're right, Paul. Golly, man. It feels like these, um, these songs just feel like they carry more weight um, during this time. And I really, I, I really think it's because we Christmas season is such a it's a time that many people just kind of, they, they reorient themselves to centering their life around Jesus as it's a reminder um, of his birth, a celebration of his birth, and we begin to reorient ourselves um, around, like, he's the reason, you know, the reason for the season. He's the reason that we celebrate. And, and, and really, that's really what I want to even communicate to you this morning is that we are this celebration, this spirit of Christmas, this, this time of hope and joy and peace and giving that it's not supposed to just be one month out of the year, but it's supposed to be a lifestyle for us, that we should live this way. Not that we have to have the lights up all year, although I'm sure many of you would like that. Um, not that we keep the Christmas tree up all year long, but and I know many of you would love that. Um, but, but in all the celebration, that it, it would be a reminder of this should be our lifestyle, that we continually center our lives around him and that we are continually celebrating him, that we are continually living with hope, joy, peace, and love as we center our lives on Jesus. And, 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 and so that's even the title of my message this morning is The Spirit of Christmas. And... Um, the Christmas spirit or the spirit of Christmas around this time is we have these feelings of hope and joy and peace. We have an attitude of giving. We have a spirit of celebration. And um, I, want, I want to look at a story today that where we see these two people in this story. And it's not Mary and Joseph, but two people that often I, I feel like get overlooked. But I really feel like that they are a major part of the Christmas story. And there's only but a few verses about them. And there's so many things that we can learn from just their short stories. And so um, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Luke chapter 2. And I want to look at a couple people here today. Luke chapter 2. I'm actually going to start in verse... 21. I'm going to back up just a little bit for context. Verse 21. It says, eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a child's, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms, praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. 
He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed the child, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then they lived. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. This is fascinating to me. So we see previous, and I really want to focus on Simeon and Anna, but we see before, we, before they come into the temple, Mary and Joseph had brought Jesus in. They had already done circumcision at eight days old, but they had to come back to the temple to do the purification process, which would have been about 40 days after he was born. This would have been also a purification cleansing for Mary. They would have had to have paid an offering. And this is all... Um, reminiscent of the Passover when they had to present their firstborn. There had to be a sacrifice in order for the firstborn to live. And so the priest, they would bring it in, they would bring their sacrifice in. And in most, in, if you were wealthier, you would bring in a lamb. And if you were poor, you would bring in two birds. And the priest would sacrifice them, would sprinkle blood, would hold the baby over the altar, dedicate him to the Lord, and then uh, write his name down in a scroll that had all the firstborns of Israel recorded in it. And, and I, when I think about this, I think about this priest that was holding Jesus and he missed that he was holding the I am. He missed that he was holding Emmanuel. That this was not just another child, not just another firstborn, but he was holding the firstborn of heaven. He missed that he was holding the majesty of heaven, the king of glory. The priest had taken the animal offering, not knowing that he held and looked upon the one who was the lamb without blemish. That those very offerings were a representation of this child. That every offering this priest and all other priests had ever presented were about to be fulfilled through this babe. And the name of this helpless baby inscribed in the role of Israel, declaring him our brother, was the hope for fallen humanity. This child for whom the redemption money had been paid was he who was to pay the ransom for the sins of the whole world. This baby was the true high priest of the house of God. And the priest didn't even know it. As he signed the name of Jesus, he was signing the death warrant to the system of offerings and sacrifices. And he didn't even notice. And he didn't even notice. He wasn't looking. He didn't see or feel anything unusual to him. It was just another child. But I love that the Lord would not let this special moment go about unnoticed, that this was going to be a cause for celebration. And I think many times, even with this, the, the priest and the Jewish people, they were supposed to be looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. 
They have known the prophecies. They knew that he was coming, but, but they kind of got going through the motions and the religious exercise and there was no expectancy among them. And it was just another day to him. It was just another purification process. It was just another ritual. And I want to ask us today, is it just another church service? Is it just another Christmas season? Is it just another prayer meeting? Is it just another religious moment? Is it just another worship set? And as we start today, I I want you to know that God revealed himself to Simeon and Anna because they were looking for him. Because they were looking for him. Do we live with that attitude of expectation, that attitude of looking for him? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 makes it clear that God reveals the secrets of his spirit to the spirit of man, but it's the man that is looking for him. Proverbs 25 Verse two says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. God reveals himself oftentimes from the common gaze because he's looking for those who are truly hunger for him, hungry for him, those who are truly looking for him. And I love that he's no respecter of persons, no position, no title, no rank matter to him. Enter Simeon, not the priest, just a man, but I love the way that the Bible presents Simeon because uh, this translation doesn't do it justice, but if you look at King James or New King James, a couple, uh, a couple older ones, the way that it, the, that it translates, it says, behold, there was a man in Jerusalem. So he, the baby sees the priest given back to the parents, but behold, there was a man in Jerusalem. And that's like an exclamation point. Behold, there was a man, Simeon. What a way to be remembered by heaven. What a way to be thought of by heaven. Behold, there was a man. Man, I hope that heaven thinks about me that way. Behold, there is a man in hot springs whose heart is hungry for the Lord. What an incredible way to be remembered like Simeon. Behold, there was a man, and then it says he's righteous, devout, looking that the spirit was upon him. We don't know his job title, his marital status, his economic status, his social status. We just know that he was a lover of God, that his business was a business of looking for the Lord, that his character was righteous and devout, that his relationship status was full of the Holy Ghost. What a way to be remembered. Not a king, not a high priest, just a man. And behold, there was a woman. And then Anna came. And she's called a prophetess. Simeon wasn't called a prophetess. We actually hadn't seen a prophet in Israel for 400 years since Malachi. This is before John the Baptist even comes on the scene and we see a woman is named a prophetess of God. That means that she speaks on behalf of God to people. Lest you think women shouldn't do that. Read your Bible, God bless you. And don't miss the and because it connects Anna with Simeon. Behold Simeon, behold Anna. Same time, Same place, time of arrival with Joseph and Mary. And wow, like you read her story, she becomes a widow of very young age. And now she's 84, so she's probably lived in the temple for probably 60 years, maybe. That's a long time. Lived in the temple. That she would have had a house that was connected and she had common grounds and that she was considered a prophetess by the people that were there. So she would come in and she would speak on behalf of the Lord's people that she would prophesy to people. 
And that, that fasting and prayer was a lifestyle for her. That, that wasn't just like something that she did at the beginning of the year, but that prayer and fasting was a lifestyle for Anna. And when she looks upon him, she begins t- praising God and telling everyone about him. Wow. Simeon and Anna were just two people that were attuned to the spirit of God and the word of God. And I wanna look at some things in their life today because they truly embody the spirit of Christmas for us all. That's not just meant to be for this season, but it's meant to be a lifestyle. The first thing I wanna look at is the spirit of Christmas is one that reminds us of righteousness. The first thing that it says about Simon is that he was righteous. He was righteous. And that's the whole reason that we celebrate Christmas is because we have been made righteous by Jesus. By his blood, 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 5, 21, he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. Simeon had faith in God. He knew those offerings were pointing forward to a Messiah. His faith in God made him righteous before God. We have the very righteousness of God. We've been made right with him. And when we get that revelation, what it, like it did in Simeon, does to us, it produces righteous living. We have been made right with God and we are also supposed to live right for God. Christmas is this reminder that we were made righteous by Christ and the result is supposed to be righteous living. We've been made righteous by faith and we're told to pursue righteousness. Faith in God results in a transformed, a transformed life. We are to pursue righteousness. We're told that over and over again in scripture. 1 Timothy 6.11, we're told to pursue righteousness. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And so we're going after this right relationship with him and right behavior before him, not in the sense of I'm a slave and I have to do what he says out of fear, but I'm a son and I want to do what he says because of his great love for me. I want to live right before him. I love God. I love the law of God. I want to live in a way that pleases him. And Christmas should be a great reminder of that is that we live in a way that pleases the Lord. We're obviously not saved by works. We're saved unto good works. But, but church, I want you to know there is a reward for righteous living. There is a reward for righteous living. And Simeon got his reward. When we seek right relationship with God, it produces right behavior. Simeon is described as righteous because he lived righteously as a result of his faith in God. It wasn't by his works, but because his life was observed that he lived for God. The spirit of Christmas is a reminder to live a life of righteousness. 1 John 2, 29, everyone who practices righteousness has been born again. Second thing we see about Simeon, righteous and devout. Devout. Devout meaning God-fearing. Devout meaning taking hold of what is good. Devout meaning living a life of devotion to God and with God. Devout is his character. And it's this idea of his reverent and careful care of his spiritual life. I I want you to see that, that Simeon didn't stumble into being known as righteous and devout. It was an active cultivation of his spiritual walk. It was something that he had to cultivate over a long period of time. You're not gonna be righteous and you're not gonna gonna live righteously and you're not gonna be devout to the Lord through stumbling into it. It's an active cultivation out of your relationship with the Lord. Come on, man, y'all are either sleepy or there's a lot of Baptist people in here. 
God bless you either way, but y'all are quiet as a church mouse. Heard a pastor say one time, you could hear, you, in here you could hear a rat pee on a cotton ball. Gross. Ugh, ugh. I'm going to wake you up a little bit. These aren't just two words that we skim over. No one accidentally becomes righteous and devout. Simeon cultivated his walk with God. And you think about being devout. Many people are devout to work. Many people are devout to a hobby. Many people are devout to a sports team. Many people are devout. I would go to say that there are many people who are devout to the Razorbacks, even though they get disappointed year after year after year after year. They're more devout to a sports team than they are to the Lord. Sometimes we're more devout to a church than we are to the Lord. And it's not a bad thing to be devout to the church, but sometimes we are devout to going through the motions just like this priest was, but we're not devout to our God. Sometimes, many times we're more devout to a political party than we are to the church. Are you devout to the Lord, completely devoted no matter what? And one thing that I love about Simeon and Anna is that they were old. They were old. They were not young. Why is that important? because it shows a life of devotedness. In our culture, we get it flipped up sometimes. We want the young people on the stage. We want, the, you know, we want the, the, we, all the social media influencers and we want the young, hip, cool people or whatever. And, and even older people, they dress like they're younger people sometimes just so that they appear younger because younger oftentimes gets elevated in our culture, but, but that is, that's backwards. The old people should be elevated in our culture. <clears throat> Why? Because they have lived a life of devotedness. They actually have something to offer the next generation. The next generation hasn't done anything, oftentimes, that hasn't been abled by the older generation. One thing that stirs my faith up more than anything else is watching the gray hairs worship or the ones with thinning hair or no hair. But that stirs me up. Anybody, listen, it, like I love watching the young ones worship. I love watching the young adults worship. I love watching the youth worship. There's, there's nothing that, that like I cry through more than watching young people encounter the presence of God, but I understand, I understand that anybody can do it for a couple weeks and anybody can do it for a couple months and anybody can even do it for a few years. But you watch people enter in the, you watch the seasons of life take them out because they weren't fully committed to the Lord no matter what came. But when you watch the older ones worship, when you watch the gray hairs still dance, come on, there's power in that. There's wisdom in that because they said, no matter what came my way, my life was devoted to him. Come on. Can you live a life of devotion to God all the days, months, years? And listen, seasons of your life are you devoted to God. Come what may fully committed, never wavering. That's real strength. That's real devotion. And I love, I love though that, and, and, and we hear this often from older people in our church, is the reason that they're here is because there is young people here. The reason that they give is because there's young people here. And there's this synergy of generations. There's this synergy of generations. And so, the, so, so older people, like you've got something to give to the younger people. Younger people, you've got, you've got something to receive from the older people. 
And there's gotta be this synergy where we're pursuing Christ together. And, I'm, and I wanna watch the pace of the older gentleman and I wanna match that pace and I wanna, do, I wanna see where he's going and I wanna do that thing. And I, I watch, why is he dancing? Why is he going after like that? Why is he successful? Why, how everything he puts his hand to is blessed. I wanna pursue that. But I love that Simeon and Anna, although they were old, they came in the temple looking for a baby. Looking for a baby. See, there's no, there's no retirement age in your walk with the Lord. You don't get to just say like, oh, well, it's on, on to the next. No, we're continually discipling and raising up and looking for the next generation. Come on. So if I can encourage the older generation, man, it's not, I'm not asking you to get out of the way. I'm asking you to keep tending your flame. Keep the spirit of Christ on you. Worship knows no age limits. And Anna at 84 years old, and we'll look at this a little bit later, but in verse 38, it says, once she saw the babe, she continually praised and told everyone about him. It reminds me of Paul's passionate pursuit of Jesus in Philippians 3.14, where he says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Man, you think about, think about what's on your bucket list. Just Google what's on Americans' bucket list, and it's kind of embarrassing. I know we want to do cool stuff before we die, but you see in Simeon and Anna's heart, what did they want to do before they died? See the face of their Messiah. That, that convicts me. Is that my number one goal? Is that my number one priority, to see the face of God? Right? Or do I want to go on lavish vacations? Not that vacations are wrong, but what's our number one goal and number one priority? After Simeon saw the face of, uh, of, uh, of Jesus, he cried out to the Lord and said, may your servant now die in peace because I have seen the face of your Messiah. Woo! Right? We spend so much time of our life trying to push off death. So many people, we have fear and anxiety of death, which is normal. Like I get this normal. But man, to live in a place of peace where whew, I've seen his face and come what may, if my eyes close, no matter how they close, I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna be in glory forever and ever and ever and ever. Woo, what if you live with no fear of death, man? Come on. What's the one thing you want to see before you die? Have we all accepted death, right? And, and not that we shouldn't strive to live a long life and take care of ourselves. And all, I'm not against any of those. I'm not saying go look for an early death, but to, but to live in a place of, man, you get in here and Reagan's singing Surrounded by Holy and then hey, Courtney's singing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it's like, dude, I could get raptured right now. I think I did during worship. I think I touched the ceiling. I don't know where the rest of you were, but I was up there. He came and got me in that moment. But like, what, what? in that moment, it's like, dude, uh, come what may. I'm satisfied because I've seen your face, Lord. Come on. 1 Kings 8.61 says, Let your hearts therefore be wholly devoted to the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments. Listen, every true Christian is a devout Christian. We cannot half-heartedly serve our Lord. We can't half-heartedly live for Jesus. You can't serve God and live for something else. Jesus made it completely clear that whoever follows him must count the cost and decide if he will follow him completely. A true follower of Christ is devout because he or she commits every part of his or her life to loving and living for God. Come on. Are we completely devout? Does he have every part 
of our life. I love seeing that Anna never left the temple that she gave. She gave the continu- the, the, a picture of, con- of continually living in the presence of God. She was continually in the temple, but friend, you now are the temple. And you can continually live in his presence. We can continually offer up worship to him. We can continually live in relationship to him. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6.18, pray in the spirit on all occasions. That's why he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, pray at all times, pray without ceasing. Why? Because we have this continual relationship with him. It's not just once a week. It's not just on Wednesday night. It's not, just on, it's not on Sunday morning, only Christianity. It's that we live in relationship. We live in the temple with him. We have a constant connection with him. The spirit of Christmas is a reminder to live a life of devotion to God and with God. Christmas is a reminder that our lives should be solely centered and focused on Jesus. And I love how it talks about both of them. They were looking for the Messiah. They were looking with eager expectation. They were eagerly waiting. Our lifestyle is to be one, looking for him everywhere, waiting for him to show up. Is this our attitude when we come to church, when we go into our homes? What do we look for when we first wake up in the morning? For, uh, Psalms 130 verse six is just like the watchman waits for dawn. I wait to see you, Lord. When we wake up, and then listen, I'm guilty of it too. When I wake up in the morning, what's the first thing I'm looking for? Let me look at the news. What's happening today? Let me look at my schedule. Let me check social media. Let me look. Th- what's the first thing that we're looking for? When we rise, what's the first thing, what's, what's the last thing that we look for when we lay down in our bed at night? What's the thing that we look for when we're going to work? Is our, is, is our heart of grumbling and complaining? It's like, oh, I got to deal with people again today and my coworkers and my customers and blah, blah, blah. Or God, use me today to be a divine appointment that somebody might see the face of God when I step into work today. Are we looking for him everywhere? Well, I just don't ever see God and I don't ever feel God and God never talks to me. Are you looking for him? Are you looking for him? Are you paying attention? What are you looking at in the secret place? Oftentimes what you're watching reveals what you're looking for. What you're listening to reveals what you're looking for, right? We can sing our favorite country songs, but how many Bible verses can we quote? I'm not shaming the country song. Listen to them. That's totally fine. But are we getting in scripture? Are we getting in word? Are we seeking his face? Are we talking to him throughout the day? What are we looking for? How you respond to adversity oftentimes reveals what you've been looking at and what you've been listening to. What, and, and, and many times, what we're thinking about is what we're looking at. That's why Paul says, fix your eyes on these things. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Think on these things. Do you live your life with holy expectation looking for the one who brings redemption to the world. Listen to this. What you are looking at, what you are looking for, sorry, what you are looking for will radically impact what you are living for. What you are looking for will radically impact what you are living for. Change the what to who. Who you are looking for will radically impact who you are living for. So what are the eyes of your heart looking for? What have you set your mind on? Have you set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth? Can we have the heart of David? 
That that heart of Psalms 84 is my, my soul longs and even faints for you, Lord. That better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere, that my heart and my flesh cry out to you, the living God. Is our prayer, Psalms 127, one thing that I ask and one thing that I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze upon his beauty and inquire of him in his temple. Listen, many times the reasons that we don't have hope, the reasons that we don't have joy, the reasons that we don't have peace, the reasons that our hearts aren't full of love and we find we, we see people as an annoyance rather than an opportunity and we don't love those around us is because we haven't been looking for Jesus. We haven't fixed our eyes on the author and finisher. You want peace in your life? Fix your eyes on the Prince of Peace. Seeing Jesus is the simple formula for peace. When we truly see him, we let go of everything else that we can be like Simeon and even come to a place where we're at peace with dying. Where we get to a place like Paul where we can truly say to live as Christ, to die as gain because we get to be him with forever. Many times we have no peace because we live in fear of future, fear of death, fear of not having enough and fear robs us of the peace that Jesus brought to us. Come on, the spirit of Christmas is one that is always looking for Jesus, which leads into the next one is that the spirit was upon Simeon. The spirit was upon Anna. Are you living your life spirit led? Are you living your life spirit led? Simeon's name actually means one who hears. One who hears. He was a man who was led by the spirit of God. He was a man who knew the word of God. He was a man who was obedient to the word of God and therefore privileged to see the salvation of God. When you live looking, you will find. When you live listening, you will hear. James Smith said, every spirit-possessed one has the things of Christ revealed to him or her and will be led by the spirit. G. Campbell Morgan says, I never begin my work in the morning without thinking that perhaps he may interrupt my work and begin his own. You ever get throughout your work day and just some major interruption happens and you didn't get anything done that you wanted to don't look at it as like, look at it as like a divine interruption. Like maybe it got interrupted by that person because God wants to use you to touch that person today, to reach that person today, right? Oh, like, you know, frustrations come up. Maybe you got a flat tire for a reason. Maybe you forgot something at the store for a reason. Maybe you ran into that person that won't quit talking your ear off at Walmart for a reason, Listen, I'm guilty of it too, where I just live from a place of my flesh where I'm just frustrated and anxious and gotta move on to the next thing and move on to the next thing and move on to the next thing instead of like, okay, God, what is the reason that this person has come into my office today? What is the reason that I have struck up this random conversation with this person today? Maybe it's because God wants to use you to show them his faith. Come on, are we living spirit-led? Have you, Simon had a divine appointment because he was attuned to the spirit. Anna had a divine appointment because she was attuned to the spirit. Are you in tune with the spirit? Have you had a divine appointment? Has anybody ever arrived in your life at the right place at the right time? I have. I'll give you an example. Four years ago, I wanted to take my family, find a mountain and move away and just say, screw humanity. Sorry, that's, Kind of crude. But that was my attitude, is I didn't like anybody. I was frustrated. I was angry. I was depressed. I just didn't want to do ministry anymore. And a man called me that I had met one time, briefly, for a few minutes, I had met him. 
And he called me and left me a voicemail and said, I don't know why, Josh, I don't really know you, but for the last three weeks I've been in my secret place and your face comes to my mind every day. Now, and this had been over a year since I had seen this guy last. When met him one time and he calls me. And I call him back and he's like, tell me what's going on. And so I just went through the whole deal. It's like, I'm confused, I'm hurt, I'm wounded, I want to give up or whatever. And he began to minister to me through the Holy Spirit. And I pulled into what used to be David and David's gas station that is now just a roundabout, which, by the way, people are terrible at driving through the roundabout. That is my pet peeve, dude. My goodness. You want the Lord to work on your patience? Go try to get in the roundabout. It's like you can tell that they built a roundabout in Fountain Lake, Arkansas, because we we're not used to that big city stuff. But I pulled into that gas station behind David and David's, and the Spirit of God filled my truck, and I just began to cry and weep in the presence of the Lord on a phone call of a guy that I had met one time. What if he didn't call me? What if he just thought, it's random, this guy's face is coming up, whatever, but he sought that out. Changed my whole life. I'm still here on this stage today because of that phone call of a man that most of you will never meet, never know. Man, won't he do it? Come on. We have got to develop our relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God on earth, is God on the inside of you. You are a temple of the Holy Ghost. And we are taught by scripture to develop this relationship with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6, 18, pray in the spirit on all occasions. Ephesians 5, 18, be constantly filled with the spirit of God. We are supposed to develop this relationship with the Lord. Galatians 5, 16, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. And then in verse 25, live by the spirit, let him guide you. We have to develop this relationship with the Holy Ghost where we are learning to attune every moment and second of our life of taking step and step with him and being led by the spirit. Come on, you're gonna see a lot more things if you walk in the Spirit. You're gonna hear a lot more things if you walk in the Spirit. Well, I don't even know what walking in the Spirit means. Just ask the Lord. Ask God to give you more of his Spirit. That's a promise in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you ask for more of the Spirit, God is faithful and he will give you more of the Spirit. Come on, are we spiritually attuned? Then the last thing. When Anna saw him, she began to worship with gratitude and praise. Her first response to her vision of Jesus' face was one of gratitude and praise. And then it says that she began speaking about him over and over and over again. She couldn't keep quiet. She couldn't keep quiet. Have you ever been in a place where you couldn't keep quiet about something? Right? You, like... What you're passionate about is what comes out of you. Have you ever talked to somebody who is obsessed with sports? Who is a sports fanatic, right? You ever talked to somebody that relives the glory days all the time? Right? Or their hobby or the new, or whatever they're into, whatever they're filling themselves with is what is beginning to come out. But in worship, we get full of the Spirit. And as she worshiped the Lord, because she lived this lifestyle of prayer and fasting, that she began to go out, and it says that she began to tell everybody else that was also looking for him. Come on. I love what Bill Johnson teaches. He teaches that true evangelism is when worship breaks out of the secret place. What does he mean by that? He means true evangelism isn't when your church 
puts on an outreach so that, so that you won't come to it, but they can run it for you, and you feel better about it. You said that you go to a church that does a lot of outreach. Hmm. Uh-oh. Maybe God meant for every believer to be outreach. Maybe you are the light of the world, a city on a hill, right? People come and complain, well, I just wish you would do more outreach. It's like, I have done outreach before, and you don't come to it. But what if your life was outreach? A.W. Tozer says that a church that's on fire doesn't have to advertise itself. The people will know in that community. The people will know. What if our life was outreach? Well, how come our life is an outreach? It's because we're looking at all kind of other things except for Christ, except for Jesus. But if you get in that secret place, and this is why Bill says this, when you begin to worship him, he begins to fill you with his spirit and you can't help but talk about him like a lot of believers, like you'll leave today, you'll leave those doors and you'll be fired up with the presence of God. And by Tuesday, level comes down. Thursday, level comes down, level comes. We weren't meant to live where the levels come down. This is an amazing thing where we get to gather and corporately worship God together. We're commanded to do this and there's something available in the corporate worship of the church, but you aren't meant to just corporately worship. You're also meant to privately worship. And when you privately worship and you get full of Jesus and you stay in the word and you're full of the word, if you run into Miss Hetty Sunday through Saturday, what is she gonna talk about? Jesus, because she's full of him. And that would be my goal, that I'd be so full of him that I talk about him everywhere that I go. The spirit of Christmas is a spirit of, it's a, it's a time of worship. The spirit of Christmas is a time that we get to, our worship leads to a witness. Come on. I recall a moment over 20 years ago when my, I first saw the face of Jesus and I was overjoyed and I began giving thanks and speaking about him over and over to everyone who would listen. <sighs> By the spirit of God that I am praying that he returns us to our first love so that we have that attitude and actions like the prophetess Anna. I love that it mentions, and it, scripture does this on purpose. Anna's father's name is mentioned for a reason. It says that she was the daughter of Phanuel. Phanuel means the face of God means the face of God. I think the reason that Anna, that she was willing to live as a widow for the rest of her life is because she was completely satisfied in God and God alone. She could have got remarried, but she didn't. She chose to live in the temple. And I believe that Anna had seen something in her father's face that stirred up a hunger on the inside of her. Anna became a prophetess probably because she grew up in a prophetic home. When your dad's name means the face of God, there's something prophetic going on. And I pray that, that, would, that, that my kids would see the face of God in me. But I know that they're not gonna see the face of God in me if I'm not seeking his face. And anytime I get anxious or I get frustrated or whatever, oftentimes it's because I've distanced myself from relationship with him. But if I'm walking step in step with the spirit, my life and my heart overflow with his love and his joy. When she saw him, Anna couldn't keep it to herself. Come on, when our cup is overflowing, can't help but slosh it around a little bit and get it on everybody around you. And honestly, the only reason I preach is not because I'm trying to get people 
to listen to me or to go back and watch it later this week. Or we're not, I'm not trying to get views on anything or likes or anything like that. The reason I preach is because I want our church body to see his face. To see his face. I don't want you to have an encounter with me ever. I want you to have an encounter with him. I don't want you to have an encounter with our worship team. All I want to do every time I preach is fan the flame by telling you how good God is and how loved you are. They saw a God who became flesh and they responded with worship. They saw a God who had stooped low. Can we be a church also that reveals the face of God that stoops low? I'll never forget when I, when we were, when church was over in the gym, many of you weren't even here then when we used to do church in the gym. Those were some hot summer days. I'm thankful for this building. But I remember coming to the altar and I was, I had been living far from the Lord. And I felt like he didn't love me because of the actions that I had committed. I felt like I wasn't worthy to do what I knew he had called me to do, but I felt like I wasn't worthy. And I'll never forget, David Pate came and put his arm around me and he began to pray over me. And because David Pate stooped low that day, I saw the face of God. And that's all my heart has ever been since then is that I would stoop low so that others would see the face of God. Because Jesus stooped low so that we could see his face. I want my life my witness to become the spirit of Christmas. I want my life, I want every step to be like the resurrected Lazarus, man. Because Lazarus walked out of a grave and there was no denying that he was dead and he was now alive. And man, if you had known me at 18 and 19 years old, I was dead and I have been made alive. And now every season can be like Christmas because Jesus isn't a one-time gift. He's not a once or twice a year or once or twice a week. We get the honor of living in the temple, living with him. And you can look back on your testimony and let it cause you to look forward with hope. We're gonna do this song. I love this song. It's not a Christmas song, but it's amazing. Because it reminds me of Simeon and Anna. And, and we haven't done this song before and listen, if you're over 40, the odds that you've heard the song are slim to none. It's okay. We still love you. We want you to be here. <laughs> Sorry. Luke is making fun of me. Where are you going with it? <laughs> Where I'm going with it is we're usually weird when we do new songs. I don't want you to be weird today when we do a new song. You don't have to stand there like a deer in the headlights when we do a new song. We put the words on the screen so you can sing along. And you also don't have to close your eyes when you raise your hands. You can leave your eyes open and read the words and sing along too. I, I just want, I, I want to encourage this. Like the whole reason that I'm ending in worship today is because I just want to respond to the word of God. I want to respond to the face of God. I want to respond with thanksgiving for everything that he has done in us and through us, everything that he's going to do. That's what I want to respond. I wanna look back in my past and see where he answered my prayers and let it stir up faith for the prayers that I'm praying now. This song reminds me of Simeon and Anna, and this song's very repetitive. You're like, you're gonna catch on real fast. 
And I know some people have complaints about repetitive songs, but listen. I, I said it in first service because Tim was here. I could preach Tim's Christmas sermon with no notes. I have heard it so many times. When he talks about the Christmas trees and the candy canes, I could do his Easter message where he talks about, where he talks about the egg. I could, I could do it all. I could do it with no notes because I've heard it so many times. But we need to be reminded more than we need to be taught new things oftentimes. And the reason that we repeat it over and over and over and over again is to get it to move from here to here. Because what you think about is what you become. And I would pray today that what we sing about is what we become. And let this music move your emotions from just an intellectual agreement to like, I agree with this in the deepest place of who I am. That I agree with this in the deepest parts of my heart. And, and there's, some, there's some old school lines in here too. It's a little bit of a mix, but I love, man, it says, this is our story. And this is our song. Are there still some people who seek his face in hot springs in Fountain Lake and Jesseville? Is there still a church that seeks his face? This still looks to his coming. I love the bridge of this song. It simply says, I sought the Lord. And he heard and he answered me. I sought the Lord and he heard and he answered me. And that moves me so because I remember when I was in a pit that I couldn't climb out of. And I cried out to him and he came and he raised me up out of that miry clay and he set my feet on a solid rock. Man, and now I could sing of his love forever. And man, I could dance and it's foolishness I know. But when the world is seen the light, they will dance with you. Like I'm dancing. when I was an enemy, when I was a sinner, he stooped down and he came close. And when I sought him because of my sin, because I couldn't free myself, he answered. And when I sought him because I needed healing in my body, he answered. And when I sought him because there were wounds in my heart that nobody else could heal, he came and he answered, friend. And I would say as we sing this today that it would remind you of your testimony and it reminds you of the prayers that he answered and it would stir up your faith that you would put your trust in him again, that you would seek him and you would find him, that you would knock this morning and the door would be open. And man, if you're seeped in sin right now, if you're seeped in bondage or if your body needs to be healed this morning, seek the Lord and he will answer you. Stand with me this morning. Let's worship again. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.